Well, good evening, everyone, and a warm welcome to our service tonight. Uh, if you're visiting, we trust that you'll know God's blessing uh, along uh, with us as we've gathered in the name of Jesus. Our opening psalm of praise is 139, 139a from St. Psalms, and we'll sing from the beginning down to the verse marked 10. The tune is Strakathro. O Lord, you have examined me, you know me through and through, my sitting, rising, all my thoughts afar are known to you. Psalm 139, 1 to 10. We stand to sing. bow for God in prayer. Lord, we give thanks for the privilege of being able to gather together this evening in your name. And we thank you that your word assures us that where two or three are gathered in that name, 
you are in the midst. We pray, therefore, that you would enable us to identify you tonight here among us, to know you for ourselves personally as our Lord and Saviour. And we ask for grace in order that our worship might be acceptable to you, that it might be in spirit and in truth. Save us, Lord, from being content with the mere form of worship. Grant that we would want to draw near with our hearts. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. May your Holy Spirit work among us this evening, enlightening our minds from the Scriptures in the knowledge of Jesus Christ, and enabling us, as your professing people, to grow in our knowledge of him and in grace and to be more conscious than perhaps we've ever been before of you know, the wonder you know, of that salvation that has been conferred upon us. And we pray to you that if there are any present who don't know you, that eyes would be opened tonight to see the beauty of Jesus, you know, and to you know, hearts opened to receive him you know, as Saviour and Lord. We thank you that your gospel is still your power to save, And we thank you that we can therefore proclaim it confidently because we know that salvation is not of us, but of our God. We ask that you would minister to us as we've gathered here and we pray the same for all your people across the city, across our land and throughout the world. We thank you that you have a people who have bowed the knee to Jesus and acknowledged him as Lord and Saviour. We thank you that there is a worldwide church of which we are but a small part. And we thank you that you know all those who are yours and that there is nothing in all creation that can separate us as your your people from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as we cherish our freedoms here tonight to worship you, we remember in particular our brothers and sisters who are persecuted on account of their faith in you. May they know that they are truly blessed Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Lord God, minister to all such in a very special way tonight and draw very close to them and impress on us our responsibilities as those who have such great privileges and our accountability to you for what we do or don't do with the freedoms that we have. We would also bring before you tonight all who are going through hard times with illness or with bereavement. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would be at work in the lives of each of your people going through such trying circumstances. And we think too tonight of all the various ministries that are taking place in your name over the summer. We think of camps and holiday clubs. We think of our young people and we commit them to you. We pray for our children uh, growing up and we ask, Lord, that you would protect them over the holiday period. We've been conscious even over this past week of how suddenly uh, family lives can be destroyed. Uh, And we pray for those who have been tragically uh, bereft of loved ones in the accident on the A9 the other day and for any others known to any here who may be facing similar trials at this time. We ask, Lord, then, that you would protect our children, and we pray especially that you would protect their hearts and minds as they are so much in danger of being influenced by ideologies and philosophies that are so contrary to your word. 
Lord God, we ask for Christian teachers and for Christian educationalists that there might be more and more of them in order that our young people might be directed in accordance with the paths of righteousness. Remember us as a nation at this time. We pray for our politicians. We pray for our Christian politicians that you would strengthen them. And we ask that you would add to their number. And as we are going through such turbulent times, right now we look to you for leadership. We ask, Lord, that you would deliver us from what we so often bring on ourselves and that you would bring us as a nation back to your ways because your word tells us that righteousness alone exalts a nation and that sin is a reproach to any people. We bless the congregation here. Be with each one of them. Remember those who are away and bring them back safely in due time. Remember any who are here on holiday. May they go away even from this place tonight spiritually refreshed. We bring Malcolm before you and we ask that he would make a full recovery from COVID, that you would bless him and Katie, that you would be with the office bearers, members and the adherents and all who are in any way associated with the fellowship here. May they go from strength to strength and may their testimony in this community be owned of you. Hear us as we pray and forgive us for our sins and shortcomings in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. Well, we'll sing again now, this time from Psalm 25 in Sing Psalms. Psalm 25, singing verses 4 to 9. And the tune is Finnard. O Lord, reveal to me your ways, and all your paths help me to know. Direct and guide me in your truth. Instruct me in the way to go. Psalm 25, 4 to 9, the tune Finnard.
readings tonight are first of all from the book of Psalms, Psalm 16, uh, Mictum of David. Uh, Mictum is a musical or liturgical term. O Lord, who shall, sorry, Psalm 16, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord, I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, They are the excellent ones, in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out, or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lions have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance." I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul in Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And then the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 2, and this is uh, Peter uh, preaching at Pentecost, and uh, he's been uh, explaining what has taken place and has been quoting from the prophecy of Joel, And we take up the reading at verse 22, where Peter is still preaching. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad, and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. 
For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus, whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. This is God's word, and we pray that that reading would be blessed to each one of our hearts. Before we come to look at Psalm 16 for our meditation tonight, let's sing from Psalm 89, and this time the Scottish Psalter version, and from verse 13 down to verse 18. Thou hast an arm that's full of power, thy hand is great in might. 89, 13 to 18. Just as I 
Now, seeking God's help, then let's turn tonight to the first portion of Scripture that we read, Psalm 16. Psalm 16, uh, Mictum, written by David. We saw in our New Testament reading that Psalm 16, or at least part of it, is definitely messianic. The last part of the psalm is pointing us very clearly to Jesus, to his life, death, and resurrection. Of that, there is no doubt. The psalm is quoted by Peter on the day of Pentecost, and he's demonstrating that the events that have taken place are without question the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And as we come to Psalm 16 tonight, there are two ways in which I would like to look at it with you. Obviously, it's a psalm that is speaking about our Lord, at least at the end of the psalm, and arguably throughout. But it's also a psalm that is speaking very specifically about the Lord's people. And there are many lessons that we can learn from this psalm tonight if we're asking ourselves this most serious of all questions. Am I the Lord's or am I not? I believe that if you have that concern tonight to know for sure whether or not you are the Lord's, that Psalm 16 will go a long way to answering that question for you. And so I want to look at it from that perspective, thinking of it as it applies to Jesus and thinking of it more particularly as it applies to those who belong to Jesus. Taking this approach, there are, I suppose, three different sections that we could divide the psalm into. And in the opening verses of the psalm, David presents us with some of the personal marks that belong to all those who truly are the Lord's. These were marks that were to be found in Jesus himself as he lived in this world, and they will be true of all those who are the Lord's people. And so we'll look at them and we'll ask ourselves whether or not they apply to us. There are four of them. And the first of these is very simply this, trust in the Lord. In the opening verse, David says, Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. And he's telling us there that he's trusting in the Lord. He's trusting in Jehovah. He is his security. He is the one in whom he is placing his complete trust. And that is something that is true of all those who belong to the Lord. They are trusting for their salvation, not in themselves, but in the Lord alone. Now Jesus himself, as he walked the face of this earth, demonstrated clearly that his trust was in the Lord. He was anointed by the Holy Spirit, he carried out the will of the Father, and he committed himself to him in everything that he did. He himself, of course, was God, become man, to bring man to God. But as you look at the life of Jesus, you see that it's characterized by total trust in the Lord and that it must be true of all the people of God. I remember 49 years ago in this very town, it was then city, it is now, when I came to know Jesus, 
that the verse of scripture that was probably more relevant than any other was from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your steps or your paths. So there is this trusting in the Lord that marks out all those who truly are the Lord's. Is that you? Are you trusting for your salvation in something other than the finished work of Jesus Christ? No, or are you trusting for your salvation in Christ alone? Is it true of you that in Christ alone your hope is found? Well, this is the, the first mark that David presents us with. He is trusting in the Lord, and it's an ongoing thing. God's people trust in him from day to day. They trust in him continually. It's a present tense. For in you I take refuge. It's not just that I have done, but I continue to take refuge in you. That's a mark of grace, that one is trusting in the Lord alone. And then there is this. He has this testimony in verse 2. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. Now, of course, thinking of Jesus, who is Lord, he is altogether good. And all the goodness that he had was the goodness that is from God because he is God. Jesus is the person, the second person of the Trinity. He is good in every sense of that word. And those who belong to him rely for their salvation not on their own goodness, but on the goodness that comes from God alone. What about you? Very, very often, even in orthodox religious circles, even in the most orthodox religious circles, one comes across again and again those who are still trusting in their own goodness, in their own righteousness for their salvation. No matter how clearly the message is put across from the pulpit that it is only the goodness of God received as a result of the finished work of Christ that will suffice us. Man's natural tendency is still to rely on himself. Self-righteousness is something that is to be found across the human race and found even within the, the Christian church. But when God shows us ourselves as we really are, then we will agree fully with the psalmist here, and we will have this testimony, I have no good apart from you. Is that your testimony tonight? Not relying on your own goodness, but glad to have this as your story, the goodness that God has imparted to you. You have received the righteousness of God by trusting in Christ, and this is your testimony. Nothing to do with your own worthiness, all to do with his worthiness. A lot of people hold back and they say, but I'm not worthy. Well, of course you're not worthy. No one is worthy, but the one who alone is worthy, and his name is Jesus. And we receive his goodness as we trust in him. No good of our own, all our goodness, comes from God. So that's two marks. Trusting in God and having this testimony, I have no good 
apart from you. And see in verse 2, he's addressing the Lord. This is the way in which he speaks to the Lord. This isn't just what he says to people, it's what he says to the Lord. This is how he sees himself before the Lord. I say to the Lord, I have no good apart from you. Is that the way you are on your knees? Where no one else hears you, no one else sees you. Or no one else knows what you're saying, but the Lord hears you. The Lord sees you. The Lord knows what you're saying. Is this what you're saying? To the Lord, I have no good apart from you. See, that might sound negative. I have no good. But if you take the sentence as a whole, it's wonderfully positive. I have no good apart from you. And that makes clear that he has this goodness that, is coming, that has come to him from God. And then there's a third mark. He takes delight in the fellowship of God's people. And he turns away from all that is false in worship. These two other marks, let's go over them quickly. He takes delight in the fellowship of God's people. Verse 3. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. Now, Jesus delighted in doing the Lord's will, and he delighted in the fellowship that he enjoyed with his people. So at that level, these words are true of Jesus himself. He takes delight in his people. And just as these words are true of the Lord, they must be true of those who are the Lord's, that we take delight in the people of God. Your people, said Ruth long ago, my people, why? Because your God is my God. The psalmist says, I am a companion of all those who fear and obey you. There is this taking delight in the fellowship of the saints. We don't go it alone as God's people. We have fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ, as a result of the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And we have fellowship with one another as the people of God. And we have no right to bar from fellowship any of those who are walking in fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Whom he receives, we must receive. Whom he recognizes as his family members, we must recognize as our brothers and sisters. And we must take delight in one another as those in whom the Lord takes delight because of what he's done for us in the person of his son. And fourthly, the psalmist says that he will turn away from everything that is false and idolatrous, and in particular, when it comes to worship. He sees the difference between knowing God and all other forms of religion, whatever kind they may be, pseudo-Christianity or any other. And he says this, the sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. He turns away from everything that is false when it comes to the worship of God. And that surely is something that must characterize all God's true people. We're praying here tonight that our worship would be in spirit and in truth that our worship would be that of the one true and living God. 
And if we genuinely love the Lord and want to worship him in that way, then we won't want anything false, anything put on, anything that is contrary to what God reveals of himself in his word. We will turn away from anything and everything that smacks of deceit, anything and everything that would lead us not to God, but away from God. And of course, Jesus was the same as he walked the face of this earth. If there was one group of people that he hooked out at more than most, it was the Pharisees. It was those who were very religious, but they were religious in the sense that they were worshipping themselves rather than worshipping the Lord for all that they claimed to be. That wasn't true of all of them, but the vast majority of them. They were very religious, but Jesus was scathing in his denunciation of many of them on more than one occasion. He would have nothing to do with them on account of the falsehood that they were propagating. And the same must be true of us. We will want to be real, we will want to be true, we will want to be the genuine article before God as his people. So these are some of the personal marks of God's people as brought before us by David here. Trust in God. Take delight in the the fellowship of the saints. This testimony, I have no good apart from you and turn away from anything and everything that is not true and genuine and right and in accordance with God's word. But then he goes on in the second section of the psalm to highlight for us some of the present blessings that belong to the people of God. And there are three that I want to to just highlight. And again, these were things that were true of our Lord himself as he walked the face of this earth. First of all, in verses 5 and 6, there is this contentment expressed by the psalmist in relation to the Lord. He says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. The language is just overflowing with with a, a contentment element that highlights for us the delight that the psalmist was taking in God. Contentment of heart. He was totally content with God. Are you? Jesus, of course, himself, delighted to do God's will as he walked on this earth. He carried out God's will to the utmost as he went to the cross. He did everything that was asked of him. Not my will, but yours be done. And if we tonight know the Lord, then we will want to know that there is, and we already do know, and we'll want everyone else to know, that there is no real contentment of heart to be found outside of Christ. More than Christ, we don't need. Less than Christ would not do. We have it all in Christ. In Christ alone. Here he speaks of an inheritance. The Lord is my chosen cup, portion and my cup. 
You hold my Lord. He's, he's content with what he has as a child of God. He's content with the way in which the Lord is sustaining him and strengthening him and upholding him. And he's able to say, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. He doesn't come across as a morose believer who knows nothing of the joy that is to be found in knowing God. Rather, the opposite. This is, there's an element of joy and contentment here that comes across so very, very clearly. Is that the kind of life that you're living and that I'm living? One that demonstrates that we're content with Christ. Have we found everything that we need for time and for eternity in Christ and in Christ alone? Or are we looking for more? Do we think that we need more than Christ? Or do we think we could do with less than Christ? The psalmist is content with what the Lord has blessed him with, because the Lord is his portion. That's what he says. The Lord is my chosen portion. He has everything. And so have you and so have I, if tonight we're in Christ. We're heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. All things are yours. You are Christ's, and Christ is God's. Who wouldn't be content with that? And how can we be content with anything else or with anything less? God has placed eternity in the human heart and only the eternal God can fill that which God has placed in our hearts. There are still so many looking for satisfaction here, there and everywhere. The old mid jagger, I ain't got no satisfaction. This grammar was terrible. Well, only in Christ is satisfaction to be found. So there's this contentment of heart, not with himself, but with God. And it's well expressed by Paul in the New Testament when he says that he has learned in whatever state he is therewith to be content. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. And as if he realizes that his readers might find that hard, he immediately goes on to say, and again I say, Rejoice. There is this contentment of heart with God that marks out the true child of God. But then there is something else, and what a blessing that is. And what a blessing this is too, that the Lord counsels us as far as the way to live our lives in this world is concerned. In verse 7, I bless the Lord who gives me counsel in the night also. My heart instructs me. We all need to be directed by the Lord as to how to live our lives. We have in the scriptures of the Old and New Testament the only rule given to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. And here the psalmist is saying that the Lord gives him counsel, the Lord guides him, the Lord shows him direction. And he blesses him for it. He's someone who knows what it is to be told by the Lord, this is the way you walk in it. And we have that blessing too. We have God's word. And we need to add nothing to it or take anything away from it. What a blessing it is to have God's word tell us how to live from day to day. 
Jesus lived his life in accordance with God's word. And those who belong to Jesus will want to do the same. Knowing that we come far short, but thankful that we have this light, this lamp for our feet and for our path in the word of our God. What a blessing that is. I go back to Proverbs 3. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths of your steps. That's been my testimony for the last, I've already said how many years. And that is the testimony of, of all the people of God. That God has, as they've sought to acknowledge him and trust in, trusted in him, that God has directed their steps, directed their paths. As we look back over our lives, we can see how the Lord was guiding us. And if we're saying tonight, guide me, O thou great Jehovah, then that is evidence that that you are looking to him for counsel. You're looking to him for direction. Or are you still so foolish as to be relying on your own wisdom as to how to live out your life and how to please God? So there is the blessing of contentment of heart. There is the blessing of this counsel that the Lord gives them continually. And as a result of that, there is this confidence in the Lord. He says, I have set the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. You know the song, I shall not, I shall not be moved. Well, that's not because of anything that is in himself. It's because of the Lord whom he knows will not allow him to be moved. He has this confidence in the Lord. Now again, from a reading in Acts, we saw that these words apply in particular to Jesus himself. It's at this point that Peter takes up the psalm in his Pentecost sermon and relates it in terms of, of Jesus. And we know that Jesus, as he lived his life in this world, always set the Lord before him, could not be moved off the track that he was on as he fulfilled his father's will and set his face like flint to go to Jerusalem. He was someone, was Jesus, who had this confidence that he was carrying out God's will for the salvation of a lost human race. And he was determined that nothing would hold him back from fulfilling the remit that he was given him, that he was given to do. And just as that was true of Jesus, it must be true of us that we can have this confidence not in ourselves. God save us from self-confidence. God give us that grace that enables us to have total confidence not in ourselves, but in himself. To set the Lord before us at all times. Is that the way you're living your, your life? Seeking to set him before you continually. At your right hand, knowing that he's there to strengthen you, to uphold you. Knowing that he's there in order to ensure that you will not be moved or shaken. When you say that you will not be moved or shaken, you're not relying on yourself. You're relying on the one who has promised to sustain you and not let you go. So what a present blessing that is for the people of God. And then there's a third section in the psalm. We've seen some of the personal marks of God's people, of belonging to God. 
We've seen the present blessings, at least some of them, that the psalmist relates. And then what about the prospects as we look ahead for those who belong to God from verses 9 down to the end? Now again, of course, and again we must be true to the New Testament explanation of this psalm and see these words, first of all, as they apply to Jesus himself. But there are lessons that we can learn from them for ourselves too, as God's people. And I want to highlight four of them before we finish, and fairly quickly. First of all, in verses 9 and 10, David speaks of preservation from death. Therefore my heart is glad, and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Now, of course, these words are speaking of Christ's death and resurrection. Christ died, but Christ wasn't left, or Christ didn't remain in that state. The words apply to Christ without any doubt at all. And Peter makes that clear. I don't need to go and back to Acts and give the quotation again. It's there for you to read yourselves. But how do these words apply to us as God's people? Because after all, unless the Lord comes back first, we're going to die. It is appointed to man once to die, according to Scripture. So how then are we going to be preserved, or how are we going to be delivered from, from death? Well, the psalmist says, I shall not die but live, and shall the works of God discover. And Jesus, in, in John, the story of Lazarus, speaks of himself as being the resurrection and the life, and says that he who lives and believes in me shall never die, and even though he die, yet shall he live. So because Christ conquered death, we don't need to fear death. Humanly speaking, of course, and the Bible makes this clear, that physical death is the last enemy, and uh, there are aspects of that, that that can be quite terrifying. But if we're in Christ tonight, death has been conquered. Christ has conquered death. And there is no way that the second death will ever lay hold of anyone who has been delivered by Christ, of anyone who has been brought to life, of anybody who has experienced the resurrection power of the gospel. We need not fear eternal death. We need not fear the second death. There is no way that that will ever be our Lord. There is no more condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. What a prospect that is, that I shall not die but live. Yes, even though I die, yet I shall live. Is that you? It's all because of Christ. And then he speaks of the path of life. He says, you make known to me the path of life. Now again, of course, Jesus above everyone else is the path of life. Jesus says, I am the way or the path the way, the truth, and the life. And if we know Jesus, then he has, God has made known to us the path of life. Can you say that he's made known the path of life to you? What a prospect it is that for those to whom the path of life has already been made known, he will continue to lead us along that path. And he will never, ever allow us to take the path of death. And then there is this, in your presence, 
there is fullness of joy. We're back to it again. This psalm is a psalm that brings the element of joy, contentment before us more than once. And here we have it again. In your presence, there is this fullness of joy. In the Lord's presence. Now, let's apply that to life here. You know that when you're enjoying fellowship with God, there is a, there is a delight there, there is a joy there that nothing else in this world can compare with. Perhaps these moments in this life are few and far between for many of us, but they're precious when we experience them. There's nothing that can compare, nothing at all, with the felt sense of God's presence as you go through life. And if that's true here, if it's true here that your cup can be overflowing with joy as you experience God's presence with you, how much more in that place where there would be nothing that will ever, ever get between you again and knowing the presence of God. I think the way in which he puts it is in order to impress upon us just how marvelous this is. He doesn't say, in your presence there is joy, or in your presence there is great joy, but in your presence there is fullness of joy. Cup full and running over in the Lord's presence. And that's where all God's people are heading for. So if you know the Lord here, even although your awareness of his presence with you might not be as constant as you might want it to be, there's a day coming when it will be your constant possession. All the time you will know the Lord's presence. There will nothing that will ever come between you and your Lord again in the Lord's presence. There is fullness of joy at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And what is it that makes heaven complete? It's the presence of Jesus himself. Jesus himself is what makes the difference. Knowing Jesus there with us, there's nothing that can compare with that. Do you know this Jesus tonight? If you don't, do you realize how much you're missing out on? Do you realize that you're missing out on everything if you don't know Jesus? And do you realize that if you do know Jesus, you have everything already? Everything you need for time and everything that you need for eternity. The hymn writer says, where Jesus is, tis heaven there. What about you tonight? Are you conscious tonight of the fact that you have the Lord's presence in your life, even although you regret that you're not as aware of it as you would like to be. Well, this psalm holds out the prospect to you of knowing it forever in that place that he's gone ahead of you to prepare for you in an uninterrupted way so that nothing will ever come between you and your Lord again. The hymn writer put it this way, O Christ, he is the fountain, the deep, sweet well of love. The streams on earth uptasted, more deep I'll drink above. There to an ocean fullness, his mercy doth expand, and glory, glory dwelleth 
in Emmanuel's land. Someone said that the light of heaven is the face of Jesus Christ. The joy of heaven is the presence of Jesus Christ. The melody of heaven is the praise of Jesus Christ, the name of Jesus Christ. The harmony of heaven is the praise of Jesus Christ. The theme of heaven is the work of Jesus Christ. The employment of heaven is the service of Jesus Christ. And the fullness of heaven is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. What a wonderful prospect is held out here to the people of God that we shall be with the Lord forever. We read this in the book of Revelation. And with this I finish. As it speaks of the Lord Jesus Christ, and as it speaks of all that he has done for his people. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them, singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. Is this your testimony tonight, that he is worthy, that he is the one in whom all your confidence has been placed, and that he is the one whose fellowship you enjoy here and are looking forward to enjoying even more in the place that he has gone to prepare for you and for which he is currently preparing you? Or are you here tonight and you just haven't made sense of any of this? Because as yet you don't know this Jesus. Well, if that is you, why not tonight ask this Jesus to be your saviour and then you too will be able to identify with this psalm as it speaks of the, the personal marks of the people of God. You too will experience the present blessings of the people of God and you too can look forward with expectation to all the prospects that are held out here with regard to the future of all the Lord's people. Lord, bless these surface thoughts and your word to us, and grant that they may have whetted our appetites for more of Jesus, for his glory's sake. Amen. We're going to close our service tonight by singing from Psalm 16 and verses 8 to 11, and it's from St. Psalms, and the tune is Senka, I think it's called Senka.
of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, rest on and remain with each one of us tonight and forevermore. Amen.